This is the Why the Last Man podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about the third episode of Why the Last Man, Neil. <coughs> Yorick. It's Hamlet, right? Mm-hmm. Alas, poor Yorick. Fellow of infinite jest, of most excellent fancy. My dad taught Shakespeare. They named you after a dead clown. Welcome back, fellow survivors, to the third episode of Why the Last Man, Neil. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Welcome back, fellow survivors. I'm one of your other hosts, John. And why, once again, must I give this intro? I am Chris. <laughs> uh, welcome back, and hopefully some of our survivors who've just stayed with us through all three episodes. We, we are recording these back-to-back uh, exactly the same way as we watch the episodes. So uh, hopefully you've stayed with us through all three episodes. I uh, hope you're enjoying our coverage of Why the Last Man as much as we're enjoying the series uh, overall as well. Yes. Um, do you know Anil? Have you met Anil? Why is there such a thing as Anil? Why are they spelling it Neil, N-E-I-L, and not K-N-E-E-L? Well, it is a person's name. It is the uh, the husband of Nora, which took me the whole episode to work out yes. <laughs> as to what, what his name was, because I didn't notice it when he said his name uh, in the first uh, in the first episode. I think uh, is the only time we've seen we saw him alive, um, and he said his name there. But uh, yes, uh, it it seemed like a really obscure name for this episode. Um, but they have uh, picked out pieces of dialogue as as each of the titles I think so far uh, in each of these episodes. Um, will we get into our discussion about episode three, guys? Yes, let us do it. So. To kick us off the way we always kick off, Derek, do you want to tell us who gave us what? Absolutely. This show is based on the comic book series by Brian K. Vaughan and Pia Guerrera. Showrunner for the show is Eliza Clark. This episode was written by Katie Edgerton, uh, a writer's assistant on the TV show Halt and Catch Fire. Uh, the episode was directed by Daisy von Schulemeyer. Uh, she has directed so, so many TV shows over the year. Premium shows like Mad Men and Orange is the New Black, but really interestingly has done two big episodes of The Walking Dead uh, quite recently and has done a couple of episodes of uh, the slightly poorer sister show Fear the Walking Dead. But the reason it's interesting of course is post-apocalyptic shows yeah just like why the last man yeah absolutely uh in, interesting new writer new director on board so um yeah i mean in, in terms of the show i thought this was a really good build of tension uh within it mm-hmm. absolutely as i kind of mentioned in the first uh two episodes first episode Here's your premise. Second episode, establish the show. Third episode, this is what the series is going to be about, is why my feelings on it. We'll talk all about it as we get into the episode. But John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the, for the third episode of Why the Last Man, Neil? Sure. President Jennifer Brown is reunited with her son, Yorick Brown, at her base of operations. Yorick is hidden in his mum's apartment and his presence is kept secret, only known by the President, Agent 355, and the two helicopter pilots. A restless ampersand manages to escape from the bedroom and Yorick rushes to get him back. Hearing commotion in the corridor from her bed, the sedated and confused former First Lady spots the shadows of ampersand and Yorick and follows the noise to investigate. In a cordoned-off part of the building, Agent 355 and Jennifer managed to find Jorick and convince the former First Lady that she was imagining the man who had just a few minutes ago stood before her. 
as the secret of Yorick gets harder to hide and the challenges mount for President Brown, new challenges threaten her team, with the discovery in Israel of the only female member of the previous administration, Regina Oliver, a fanatical fringe politician. The presence of Yorick only becomes a further liability to her position, as the dead president's daughter Kimberly questions the legitimacy of her presidency and begins to circle Jennifer's secret. Agent 355 pitches a plan to get Yorick away to safety and to protect the president, involving an undercover escape along with the two pilots. Two helicopters lift off on a course to Boston to rendezvous with the geneticist Dr. Mann. But early in the flight, Yorick and Agent 355 witness technical difficulties on the other helicopter as it, along with two pilots, crashes to Earth and explodes. I think technical difficulties needs to be in quotation marks there. I think so. Yes, it is yeah. definitely a, a air quote uh, technical difficulties mm. uh, in this one, certainly yeah. judging by the um, sort of... Uh, shifty eyes of Agent 355. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, uh, we need to get out of here. We need to escape. We need to take the last man alive and as uh, his male monkey along with us. I'll put them on my helicopter and you just travel ahead in front of us. Um, yeah, we'll just keep going. We don't need to report this, Yarek. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of interesting because I was convinced that Agent 355 was probably just going to whip out a gun and mm-hmm. put two bullets in their head in, in the room that they were... Bi- there were all three of them were being held in after they brought Yorick back. Mm. Uh, so much um, easier to explain though. A helicopter yeah, crash. Right? Well, that is true. <laughs> and I, you know, there's no gun noise and, um, it does show, um, you know, strategic restraint on the part of agent 355, uh, for sure. Absolutely. But I think she got a, a little bit too nervous, uh, because I, you know, in this, um, one of the helicopter pilots certainly but both of them um i guess reflect personally these two the the idea of increasing conspiracy and mm-hmm. questioning around um you know just what's happened why it's happened and certainly now with just the the president's son being brought back yeah. uh, and that in Therein, that secret uh, lies the danger uh, for Jennifer Brown. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I love them connecting the dots and going, every man on earth is dead except for you. And now you're the president of the United States and your son is alive. <laughs> I love them just connecting those conspiracy dots. I think that's a, that's a really fun moment. But as you say, a really scary moment for 355 as she's kind of going, oh, this stuff is building up. If we don't get him out of here, uh, things are going to go bad for us. Well, like it did in Russia. Exactly, yes. Announcement to the Russian people that all the uh, Russian men in parliament were alive um, didn't end well for that Russian parliament, apparently. Uh, All contact lost with Russia. Uh, And this is the kind of stuff that I'm really enjoying about this episode, particularly is the expansion of this. We've got multiple countries now. We've got um, an idea of what else is going on in the world. It's not just US-centric. There's other uh, things going on in Israel the mention of Russia and what's going on in the US. Uh, let's get into our big moments from the episode, talk about the big things that uh, that we uh, were interested in from the episode. John, do you want to start this week? Yeah, um, I have got, I, I'm entitling it Suspicion and Stirring, um, but <laughs> primarily um, that ending were Kimberly, uh, the, the daughter of the, the now dead president, mm-hmm. uh, and Jennifer Brown, are stood in front of the the wall of the fallen with all the you know the photos that could be uh, cobbled together from um, the the new administration in, in, in this compound. I just thought 
this was fantastic um i think the the music underneath it was really good mm-hmm. just that edginess to it i think it it reflected the just the 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 threat that um is coming from multiple angles on jennifer brown as the president and just the building of the tension from those threats but you know, being reflected in the president's compound here, uh, that, um, is also happening outside, uh, in the wider world, but also like we saw in the holding room with the two pilots. And I thought this just really, um, I, you know, it's kind of like I said about it in, in the synopsis that Jennifer's circling her secret. And mm-hmm. um, it, it felt predatory from her, you know, because, there was that moment where it was, um, you know, that conversation about loss of sons, husbands, fathers, yeah. uh, about um, that grief that that is is so fresh for all these um, people. But at the same time, you then it, it just goes on this journey um, f- where she says you know, are we able to quantify loss? You know, have people lost more than others? Um, and, you know, in the sense that she's lost four, um, four of her family, three sons uh, and, a, and um, uh, a husband, but also then her father. Absolutely. Uh, and saying, I feel as though I have. Um, and again, implicit in that is, is just, um, because of what her mother um has re- relayed to her um in in terms of that that moment uh in the compound where um her mum has is stood face to face with Yorick in this sort of off limits cordoned off part of, of the the building um and she she just uh, she finishes um just with that a fantastic line she goes you know my mother conjured your son, Yorick, wandering these halls. Um, you know, uh, this idea how that, unlikely that would be. how yeah. unlikely it would be. Exactly. Um, and it's just the perceived threat from her. Oh, yeah. Uh, and certainly because it builds on seeing Kim effectively recruiting people, um, to her as a person. Um, uh, in opposition to Jennifer, uh, with the knowledge that Regina Oliver, uh, the, the nutcase fascist <laughs> fringe politician, uh-huh. uh, who was only brought in for that vote block happens to be the only female in, in the, in the former administration and is alive. And, um, you know, she has that great, uh, thing as well once she's told the news of what's happened that if true then i'm the president of the united states of america and yeah. you're like okay so you went straight there and it's the first thing she said yeah exactly yeah, she wakes up, but I, I do love that it's said with this raspy voice of, of a woman who hasn't drank any water for these two or three months now isn't it since, yeah uh, since the but it, you know just yeah. she knows what she wants and uh-huh. she's gonna get it I, I just as an aside i really like the fact that then the people in the current administration doing, you know, 
their day to day is like not a chance in hell. You know, we cannot have this, this person. Uh, as president of of the USA, you know, effectively they give her the thumbs down. Yeah, I love they're even going. You know, even when we get her up to speed, she won't be able to do this job, and it'll take her months to get up to speed. And we need to do things right now, keep going the way we're going. But um, it, this is really interesting, and this is a really good treatment of a very minor storyline in the comic books. I think I'm sure you you guys remember this from reading the comics. This idea of uh, President Brown. Uh, ascending to the presidency and all the wives of the senators and uh, who have watched their husbands die and lose their seats feel that it is their right to take back over those seats that their husbands left behind is, is the storyline. But I love how it's fleshed out here where you have the, the other side of it. You had somebody else who should actually be president and nobody wants them to be. So the side that supports Jennifer going, well, there's no way she's going to be president uh, under our watch. And the side that is against Jennifer going, well, we want to have the power that our husbands had because we were the ones that were effectively controlling their lives anyway. So we belong in those seats, even though we didn't get the votes. So I love this kind of pl- yeah. political mas- machinations that are going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it all comes down to this very intimate moment between Kimberly and uh, Jennifer. But the threat there it, it is real from her. You know, it is almost a, a warning shot. Uh, across um the the bow mm-hmm. and but it's it's one that is still not fully formed because she doesn't know whether her mom you know it's the story but she knows her mom is going through issues she knows she's kind of slightly losing the plot and so it's just letting Jennifer know that she knows what her mom has told her absolutely and i mean Diane Lane is it's just the the look is it's phenomenal. She there's that edginess between the two of them and ultimately uh you know the silence of of um Diane Lane uh, here as as the president is just really good. And again, you know, they're holding hands. It's it, it, it's this it's this optics of, of it for Kimberly, yeah. but the reality is, you know, that she is a power person here and she's making power plays. And I, I, I thought this was really, really good. I thought this absolutely bookended this episode so, so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it yeah. um, for sure. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I actually wanted to jump on this one because for me, so uh, for any of our listeners um, who haven't read the comic book, Kimberly is a new character mm-hmm. for, uh, for the show. I always get somewhat trepidatious because it's when you're, you are adding something. I always want to make sure they're just not adding it for the sake of adding it. Mm -hmm. They're adding it for an explicit purpose. And within this first, within these, the last, this, this episode two and this episode, you really start to understand Mm. why they have added the character of Kimberly. Absolutely. As this proxy for the more conservative valued based but she it was her father who taught her and ran the country and she spoke uh her advice and counsel was always taken mm-hmm. and we see the council culture references we see the 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 uh mum boys references like men are not no longer men so we see that very much being modernized into today's kind of cultural touch points and references yeah and it, but like just that scene 
John, you're right. Yeah. The fact that they're holding, it's as if they were, they're having a battle. Yeah. But you can imagine that on a pulpit stage yeah. where the two of them are there smiling and waving while having this war between yeah. them. Because Kimberly is now essentially saying, I know something is 100% up. You are starting to freeze me out. I am aware and yeah. I will not go to quiet into the night yeah so. it's phenomenal it it, yeah. it it was so so good and I, I think as well you know the other part of this the stirring element and it's to your point it, it's that other side you know this is i guess kimberly is this idea of power and yes jennifer has power and i, I guess you know to quote a Spider-Man reference to some extent, it's, it's what you do with that there's responsibility mm-hmm. uh with that and um it, it's you, you get the sense from Kimberly, it's personal gratification on the basis of her, uh, privilege, um, at, you know, previously, but also, I guess, on, on the, the, the perceived idea of where she finds herself now, rudderless and powerless because there are no men. It goes to her, you know, her, her, her boys without, uh, mum book and that at, at the start about, um, you know, boys need to be boys you know she that's how she has um you know that's the relationship with her life it is being close to powerful men and, and and i i just thought it was just really really good and then on the flip side uh it, it it's where you see you know that they need that the, the administration needs this power station up and running because tunnels are going to flood thing people want electricity you know the world is going to chaos out mm-hmm. there and um the engineer that uh, that can like fix the power plant you know doesn't want to do it because she is she's like exhausted in terms of emotionally she can't face it she's lost people herself and i just thought um, you know, it contrasted with that other element of the, of using the power to help other people. You know, we, we saw that at the start, the, the beginnings of this in a sense with, uh, Jennifer saying to, to Kimberly, you know, we're just trying to do stuff to survive the present. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought that this speech, um, to the engineer, uh, Mrs. Jacobs was just really good. It felt like a rallying cry to the people around the table mm-hmm. in her administration to this woman, uh, the, the engineer who, um, who ultimately understands and commits herself to helping the, the administration, um, and to, to, to try and, uh, fix this power plant. And I just thought it was, you know, that, that really, uh, interesting sort of kind of opposite or other power dynamic. And I guess ultimately, uh, I guess, you know, the, I guess the more socialist or left wing, uh, side of, uh, the the you know the current political polarization I guess that you that you're you're seeing potentially yeah. in, in in America so you know that touch point as well yeah. um, and I, I thought this was just uh, great contrast with um, you know seeing Kimberly trying to round up people for her own power base. Mm-hmm. Rather than through her actions, it was about who she was, not about how you're trying to deal with the situation. Exactly. Exactly. And I thought this was a really sort of great moment. I, I, I thought 
both of them were phenomenal mm-hmm. uh, in, in that scene. And I think Diane Lane was just absolutely awesome mm-hmm. uh, in, in this um, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. you're totally right. I love how the scene plays out that it's effectively, it's about the struggle for power. It's not about what's best for the world. It's that uh, Kimberly's lost everything and all the power that she used to have by having the ear of the president, effectively. She's struggling to get back up there, even though there's so much great progress in what needs to be done to help people that are dying, people that will die, if all these things won't be fixed. And that's what what Jennifer's focused on. Uh, it plays out really well on the scene. Yes, 100%. And I don't think it's the end of it. I think there's lots more of that to come in the show, and I'm glad oh, they're yeah. expanding that storyline because it did feel like a, a, you know, a, a few pages in the comic book that led into a bigger... Um, standoff between the two factions i suppose you'll we'll say um but it's great that they're expanding that because it's really important there's there's lots that needs to go on uh in washington and the center of government for the u.s so i'm glad they're expanding that storyline agreed and i'm very interested to see episode four when we see more from regina oliver the marjorie taylor green proxy um <laughs> which is definitely going to be an interesting um piece uh, as an outsider from a non-US citizen, uh-huh. uh, this is definitely one that I will be watching with great uh, gusto. Absolutely, because I, I do feel, just quickly, I feel Kimberly probably would agree with Yorick um, where he says, um, my mum won the apocalypse, which is a <laughs> great line. Yeah, I, I guess that's how she she's seeing it as winners and losers, mm-hmm. uh, not as... Well, Survivors. we're all in the same situation and we actually have to try and get back to some kind of normalcy because, yeah. um, and, uh, you know, I think that's a, a great line from Yorick. It really is. It really, it really is. is. Uh, that's a great point, John. Uh, what about yourself, Chris? What's your point for the episode? Um, so very, very interestingly, um, my point is Yorick and more ampersand. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the, the night walk. My God, he needs to get a leash on that monkey. Yes. <laughs> like, just even a baby harness leash. Uh-huh. You know, one of those ones that just go over its shoulders and stop kids walking into traffic. Just get that for your monkey, Yar. Come on. Yeah, it's a highly trained animal as well. You know, it seems to be yeah. able to open doors and everything. So, and, uh, yeah. But does not come back when called. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, just... it might have been okay when it was in his apartment. He could just hold up a tree and call him back, you know, but we've seen it a few times now that, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, Ampersand will just walk away uh, yes. whenever he's left alone and whenever he's curious, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, curious, George. Proved how curious monkeys can be. Um, but yeah, no. So I found this very exacerbating because it is the second week in a row where, based on Ampersand, we see Yark get into kerfuffles um and it was i suppose it's it, it's it is a returning uh and a continuing theme throughout the comic books yeah i was that, about to say uh-oh chris is jumping off on episode four because it's probably going to happen quite a few times again Yeah, exactly <laughs> no 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 so um no it, it it's just more you need to understand that and uh, it, it was basically through actually we talked about this off air it's through that reminder and the 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 understanding that once you accept that yes this this will happen 
quite a lot because ampersand is the catalyst for a lot of these events. Mm-hmm. Be it, uh, and it always is just essentially uh, the, the 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 writers used ampersand essentially as uh, as that plot point. This is like, yeah. and we add a curious monkey, and everything goes to hell. Yay! Yeah, it was just always that way to move the story forward, and that's what it does. And mm-hmm. you need to. I needed to remember that because I found it difficult because it is that you're like, he's been told to stay in there. Don't, don't do anything silly. Uh, and then he goes wandering around the Pentagon and you're like, Oh, come dude, come on. <laughs> um, and exactly. that kind of then leads into Yark as mm-hmm. a character. So I had initially spoken to Derek. We were chatting off air about this. It was always this. I found it so Strange, because it's been about six, seven, about six years since I've kind of did my last run through of Why the Last Man, probably. Um, and the, the, the character I have in my head, which is probably the character by the end of the series, mm. is very different from the character at the beginning of this season, of this series, because there is a whole, well, age, there's nostalgia, my own personal nostalgia, there, uh, and the, the rose-colored glasses I have on it. But also, there is that it is the character at the end of a journey. So it's if Bilbo Baggins and Frodo are very different characters by the end of The Lord of the Rings and The Absolutely. Hobbit than they are yeah. at the very beginning. Yeah, exactly. So, But if you were to watch the very first Lord of the Rings and think about how... Uh, Frodo is acting at the beginning versus the end. They, it, there is this just, just a position that is just very jarring. Yeah. And I had that initially. I was like, why is this character? He's t- like, when he's being told that he has to help try and save the world, he's kind of being, and he, all he wants to do, and he calls it out. He goes, I want to be selfish. Just let me be. Let me yeah. go find my my fiance, which technically she's not, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, that that whole aspect, and you're like, this character is why is he the last man? Absolutely, and that that is the the fun. So it's getting through that, and I I talk to you about it. I've, I've talked to my wife about it, and it is the why it beyond him being Yark and a tragic hero. Beyond him being the last man and his journey there, beyond him, why is he the last man? Like, how does he survive this? Like, because he technically shouldn't. We've had twice now in the course of two episodes where actually three technically across each episode, he has nearly been taken out once by a helicopter, mm. once by the, the, the laundrette. And once, uh, by essentially, um, walking around the Pentagon. By the way, the security of the Pentagon is pretty shit at the moment. I'm just going to put that There's out there. Hardly any of the security team at there. <laughs> Absolutely. Chris, sure. it's a very, very small security uh, force. And there was at least one person patrolling the hallways. But this, that, that, that's kind of the other thing I was going to say to you, Chris, as well. It's not just why is Yarick the last man on earth. It's also why is Ampersand. So, yes. Ampersand's also another living male mammal on the planet effectively so um so that's part of it as well i remember kind of building up my mind over the years of reading the comic books and all the trouble that ampersand is getting yarrick into and i kept going 
does Ampersand understand what he's doing? Is he a much more intelligent monkey or is, is there something about his brain that is making him do the things he's doing and that's the reason why he survived? Because that is a little bit of the, uh, of the storyline that we're going to be following over the season, right? Is, is why are these two people the last survivors? And I yeah. think in terms of the development of Yark, what this does lead Yark to is uh, you've already mentioned the Wall of the Fallen, but Yark's moment at the Wall of the Fallen when he's uh, when he's going past trying to find Ampersand, when he is confronted with a wall of much more superior human beings that yeah. should have survived when he did, is a I think a really emotional moment for the character, and I think that does play into the development of who he will become um, when he embraces himself i suppose as as that as that character and i think it's it's really interesting you know there's there are fallen war heroes effectively there and this kid who was an escapologist and that's kind of all he's added up to all his whole life um so so he's questioning himself as to why he's there and he's not even that good of an escapologist that's the ah, fun yes, part well, well, yeah. so far so far <laughs> they have not shown that which is the fun part because yeah. so far they've shown him struggling with the, the escape mm-hmm. um I, I, look, it was just, it was this journey of discovery of your arc, if we will, a rediscovery of this character. Mm-hmm. And then we get to his escape. And yeah. again, like the, the, we very quickly discussed the helicopter ride, uh-huh. but just that. Yeah. Him having to get in with the dead bodies. Mm-hmm. That was just like. The, the first hit jump of him coming out going, yeah, no, no, no. It's just, yes, of course you would. Yeah. Um, and then the, the explosion. And it's one of the reasons I'm really enjoying Ben Schnetzer as, as Yark, mm-hmm. because he, he is, he, he's able to portray that confused Yark face yeah. mm-hmm. that we saw in the, drawn so well, which was, as they fly to Boston, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. you see, and the, the the lead helicopter spins out and explodes. He's like, "Oh, why? What's happening? Oh, okay." Just mm-hmm. this 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 lost boy in him, yeah. and he's just like, "Yeah, okay, fine, just whatever." It was think, just so interesting. Yeah, I think that's the the other great thing about it um, about Yorick in this episode is you you say lost boy, you know this. Is, Kind of the first time we've got close quarters of, of Yorick and Agent 355 as well. Oh, yeah. And their relationship. And I always saw this as like mother and a child. Um, <laughs> and you, you, you have some really great moments, you know, because you have on the one hand, Agent 355, you know, understanding the clear and present danger that he poses to his mom mm-hmm. and her boss effectively as the president and um, and sees that right from the start with the two pilots and then you know after spending the the time in the bedroom with him is like you know we need to move your son and um, but you know her, her the two elements of 355 i loved her interaction with the arc and um, you know where she says well why did they name you after a dead clown from Shakespeare? And, <laughs> um, you know, all these different really things. Yeah. The the sort of knowing look as he's throwing up the spaghetti down mm-hmm. the loo because he's stuffed his face for the first time in ages with a with a decent meal. I did um, tell him. <laughs> exactly. All, all this good um, stuff, really, from her. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, um, you know, I just absolutely loved her reasoning setting out her reasoning why they need to go to dr allison mann uh, as as the geneticist uh, 
picked by her because she was top of her field, but she took a bit of dodgy um, research money um, and so effectively it froze her out of sort of the wider scientific community. Yeah, but yeah. before then she was top of her field. So they, you know, she's below the radar and I just loved the three, 355's reasoning as she's spelling out why effectively they're going to a discredited, disgraced former researcher uh, and not to someone who was considered to be a creditable researcher at the top of their field uh, because it's quieter, though less attention. And I really... And take politics out of the decision. The decision-making should be based on the person at the top of their field, exactly. not those political things um, that disqualified her. Really, it, really it was just really good. And to build the pilots into that plan as well. Uh, and I think just coming back to Yorick, uh, again, other really interesting character sort of just point is where, you know, he says... I just want to find Beth. I know I should be going to the geneticist. I know, you know, I need to be studied. You know, I know what I should say goes, but I want Beth. It's, it's that it's, I want the dinosaur in my play box. And that's <laughs> the only thing. Yes, I should be doing the dusting or the hoovering or the house chores that mum has assigned, but actually I just want the dinosaur uh, to play with. Um, <laughs> and I just thought it was really, uh, I, I loved this interaction. Um, between York and 355 with the helicopter rise and yeah the you know the, the slightly surreal uh, moment on the night walk uh, with uh, him and uh, the former first lady yeah yeah absolutely it's really good really good I will quickly just quickly add that one of the better scenes is the explanation of why he is called York because there will be people asking York and Hero uh, why so it, it is a good quick piece that it because his dad was a an English major. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Really good. And yeah, my favorite scene about Yarick uh, from the episode is after seeing the wall of the fallen and, and approaching his mom and saying to her, "Why is it me? Uh, why is it me? Why couldn't it be any of the other the other men that are on the wall of the fallen and any of those other men that are more qualified to be in this position?" She says, "Well, it's not them. It's you, and you can do it." And then sends him off. The goodbye to to Jennifer Brown from Yarick. And you know, I mentioned last episode how quickly that came up that he's. He's been there and now, poof, one episode later, he's gone off in a helicopter and he's off to Boston on the next adventure. So they've only been together for one episode. Yeah. <laughs> and off he goes. Quick question before we get it, because I'm going to move on to Derek, because I want to hear your main point for this episode. Mm-hmm. So we should point out that you are a massive Walking Dead fan. Yes, I am. Um, yeah. um, uh, both comic books and TV shows. Um, and one of the key aspects, if I, if I assume is that we don't know why the zombie apocalypse happened in Walking Walking Dead. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, In the comic books of Why the Last Man, we get... We do get something. We we get we an ex, a somewhat explanation of for Yarrick and um, Persand and what happened. Yeah. Do you think... And again, we're just talking pure speculation here. Do you think they will play with that? Do you think that they will start to give us earlier tidbits throughout, like at the beginning or the end of season one, uh, to try and help set them up for a season two? Or is it very much going to be a walking dead, which is, no, 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 look, we'll talk, we'll, we'll get to why 
Yorick is there at some point. We're never going to talk about why the apocalypse happened, because it has just right. happened. It is more just, we'll give you an explanation of why Yorick is alive, but we're not going to talk about the larger why it happened. We're just here in the future. I think what's most interesting about Why the Last Man the Comic Book is that those things are explained in the 60-issue comic book. They, yeah. they, they are, there are reasons there, and some of them are a little bit more obscure than others. Some, some, um, some headlines, I presume, are already out there on comicbook.com as to why is Yarek still alive and why Ampersand is still alive. I'm sure they've given the, the one-line explanation that I could say right here, but I don't want to ruin it no. in case they go with the same yeah. explanation. But there is a much deeper explanation as to why everything has happened. There is a much more complex explanation that isn't able to be summed up in a paragraph that has to be told over multiple season storylines to get you to the point of understanding what's going on in this world, in this world from uh, built by Brian Kevon and Pia Guerrero. So I really hope they give an explanation. I don't think it's going to be the same explanation as the comic book. There's multiple ways they can go to give a similar feeling as to why these things have happened. But I think because of the nature of how this world works, where people go, I don't care about spoilers, I want to know what happened and read the synopsis on Wikipedia of what happened in the comic books. Because of this world, I think they'll play with it, and I think they'll do a different version of the storyline. And I think it's quite easy to come up with something similar, but in the same style. Yeah, that's why I I get the feeling, based on even just 355 being in the room at the beginning, uh, I get the feeling that there is a... Uh, they they will start to play and tweak, oh, to temporize yeah. Yeah. it uh, because of exactly everything you said. But I think we'll they'll start to bring some sprinkle some of that story in towards the end of a season one, to just to kind of set the groundwork for season two, three, four, wherever, how far. If you think it's sixty issues, ten issues a a, a season, maybe mm. that could be the way they do it, or it could be twenty and just play. Yeah, let's, let's hope. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping that because it is based on a comic book story that is finished, I'm hoping that we also get a TV show that finishes and gets to it, gets to its end as well. However many seasons they, they require to do that. I will mention, I think I mentioned it back in episode two or episode one, um, this idea that, um, Regina Oliver, the, the actual president of the US, the, the now president of the US, um, it was called out that she was in Israel. And in this episode, we find her in Israel. So, um, so that's a pretty big change from the comic book. There was no uh, initial connection with Israel at the start of the comic books. It becomes more important as the comics move on. Yeah. Um, the people that are there coming to America, but it's really interesting that they've put the actual president of the U.S. sitting in America. That that makes them even more important to this storyline, yes. doesn't it? The yeah, Israel now. definitely. So I thought that was quite interesting. So I said, watch out for it. Um, we did. We saw that. So, uh, so that's yes, quite cool. there you go. Uh, and it also gives you some kind of scope for the show as well. If they're doing these dropped lines, which they did in the first episode, this, uh, this, you know, you had to read the subtitles to hear. We've heard a threat from Israel uh, in the subtitles, which happen just before the president drops in episode one. If they're feeding that in in, in background noise in the first episode, it does give you an impression that there will be a big development as the show goes on. There are things that are going to be in the background at the moment, or characters that are in the background at the moment that will become bigger and bigger as the show moves on as well. So uh, so I like that. I like that, it's, yeah. that it will build that way as well. So, so yeah. maybe the second time you see it, you might pick up some other stuff uh, for the future episodes. That would be good. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of future episodes, let's get back to this one. <laughs> Derek, do you want to tell us what your major point is for this episode? I was going to say, speaking of characters that are uh, that are coming into the TV show and may come into their own in a different way in the future, uh, yeah, my yeah. major point for this episode is Nora Brady and her daughter and their experience. Um, we like kind of sort of mentioned it last episode about Nora, um, who was a former person in power, 
going to the going to her former place of work, a place that she had all the power to walk directly to the president's office and now couldn't even get past the gate or couldn't even get to sit down with anybody uh, on the inside. Um, we're seeing her story play out really interestingly, I think, um, where she now goes back to um, the place that she's been staying with the local mothers in the area who have their kids with them as well or their daughters with them as well. Um, and she's effectively turfed out by that group. Because she's no longer of any use to them at all. They've chosen that there's only yeah. space for six people in the car. So taking three mothers and three daughters, that leaves her, Nora, and her daughter on the outs. Because she's useless in the outside world. All she knows how to do is twist and spin PR for the president. Um, that's, that is now a task that's not useful in the outside world when you're looking for food to feed uh, everybody around. The reason why I like this probably is because it does feel like a storyline that's been in a lot of survival uh, movies and a lot of post-apocalyptic movies, storylines of how these people will survive. And I just like that we're focusing on this character that had massive power and now has nothing. And how the heck is she going to survive? She has no usable skills. Um, we even see a great moment where she uh, goes back to her, her former home. Um, I love the emotionality that Karen Ireland brings to yeah. this role. I think she's really, really good in it. There's, there's moments and scenes and moments that they linger on her feelings about what's going on. The the idea that she sees a, a teenage mutant ninja, ninja turtle hand on the floor and has to reunite it with the other part of the toy. She has to connect it back to the ninja turtle because this is something belonging to her son that has died. You know, you can see all that in her face in this really quiet moment when she's at home. And then she has to go and try and bury her husband and son in the garden. Um, Unlike what we've always seen in uh, in movies and TV shows where they have to bury their dead relatives after the apocalypse, it's really difficult to dig six-foot holes in your back garden. Have you yep. ever tried to plant a rose bush in your back garden and dig, you know, a foot into the garden? Um, or, you know, it's really difficult. Digging six feet into your back garden for two graves. And you can see, you know, that it's coming into winter. It's, it's uh, the ground is really frosty. And you can see how much she's struggling. She gets, you know, maybe six or seven inches dug in the garden and of course the vultures and the crows are all out because of the rotting bodies uh, of her of her husband and son i just think this entire scene plays out like a great short film it played the emotionality of the scene how it's directed how it's how it's scored i think is really really good and i think you need scenes like this early on in the season for a brand new character like nora brady because i think she's going to become very important when yeah. she either goes on the path of getting that power back that she had in the past. So we have a little bit of that story with Kimberly going on. Kimberly, who didn't really have any actual power. Um, and Nora, who did have real power because she had the ear of the president. And Nora, who did have real power because she was effectively controlling everything the president did and how he was perceived by the world. Will she go that path? Will she join up with Kimberly and the other former wives of the Republicans? Or will she discover that she has ability she's never tapped into before will she become the protective mother of her daughter to keep her keep her daughter alive i think we will have to watch nora in the future because i think she's going to be a really interesting character as the show progresses i mean i i think that's the great thing uh about this character i mean firstly you know it is just that harsh um side of the fact that you know in, in a sense, she feels that she's been abandoned by her peers yeah. in the sense of being turned away last week, but also now abandoned by the, the group of, of, uh, women who she's, she's housed with. You know, 
I guess they were just looking about what they could get from her. They don't see any use that she can bring. And so, you know, effectively abandon her. And so it, it's really harsh. And yet, but she's still got a living daughter. Yeah. And it's the tension building up with these experiences that she, um, is, is involved with. But her, her daughter seriously injures herself. And, you know, her first thought is, how did you get a tetanus jab? Yeah. Um, when you went to summer camp last, last year, because, you know, there's a real danger she could lose the one, you know, other surviving member of the, of her family. And, um, you, you can see the, that she, she's frantic about it. And ultimately, um, all these experiences are going to feed into, I guess, how she uh, reignites her power at, at some point. I'm guessing at mm-hmm. this stage, you know, and... Yeah, um, unfortunately, even though we've watched the three episodes back to back, we haven't seen any more episodes, so we're yeah. not going to spoil yeah. anything. Um, we don't know what happens. With the you know, and, and ultimately, at, at this stage, it you know, it's... We're just leaving. So they leave their house, and you, you know, have that little brief moment where the radio comes on, and it's like... A, a bit of normalcy yeah. um and and but the tanks like less than a quarter full how far are they going to get what's mm. going to happen because you know the interesting thing is we hear where yorick is going in boston that that is almost a bit uh, out of control a bit more it's gone a bit frontier um like really yeah. uh, and so um you know what's she going to find out she's on the road um with less than a quarter of a tank. So does she have a name or is it just, I need to get out of the house? So I, I thought this was really nicely done, or help, uh, to be honest. Yeah, or help her daughter, of course, just trying to get her daughter to somewhere. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I personally, so so far, and I think it's, again, through our discussions, I, I, I learned to appreciate more of it. On initial viewing, I had problems with this storyline. Okay. Um, it's just because I've yet to connect with this character. Mm-hmm. Um, could be because it kind of hits too close to home as a person in comms who, <laughs> uh, has spent years spinning, kind of uh-huh. knowing that in an apocalypse, I may be useless. Yeah. Um, Don't worry. That, a lot of us feel like that. Chris. Yeah. Exactly. It's just like, oh, cool. <laughs> that's me. Um, but I at least can maybe dig a hole. That's that I, I've done. I did that for my tree recently, and that I, that was a good few feet down. So yeah, Excellent. that's fine. If you need um, bodies buried, call Chris. Apparently, yes, exactly. Uh, I will not tell people where they are buried. Oh I'll no, just, I'll just dig the hole. <laughs> anyway, when you've discussed that, there there is that possibility for this character. Is she going to go down the Kimberley route? Because that does make sense. That is a an understandable route for this character to become the. The, the PR machine for Kimberly and this new potential line of succession, uh, kind of this other president. Or do you go the opposite? Does she become the mama bear? And that's an interesting route. That's an yeah. interesting story where you have this woman who theoretically is pushed to the brink and the edge and goes beyond. Yeah. So she then becomes feral is the wrong word but like mad max furiosa okay. style where she shaves her head and attacks and comes out with big machetes and she becomes yeah. that she gets she, new skills on toast effect exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah 
Well, absolutely. Yeah, this, and, you know, you mentioned Walking Dead. You know, that is something that they that they're dealing with with their characters all the time. What if the world that we live in doesn't exist anymore? Who do you become effectively? So, um, so it's something that we've seen multiple times before. And I just mm. wonder if you will need to have at least one character going to there, right? You'll need to have a few characters who cha- who change everything completely because the world that we knew in the past isn't there anymore, right? Yeah. So, uh, so it'll be really interesting how they deal with it. I just think Nora is really prime uh, prime place to to have that characterization she was right there at the start she was um she was the protective mother at home making sure her son got the perfect bouncy castle uh, while dealing with the president's uh, pr problems um balancing it all with a great yeah. husband who was also helping out and now what happens when all that falls apart for her so i think that's a great storyline to explore in the show yeah i i, I just hope i start to connect with it more i think that's my problem i just have a, a, yeah. a, a, a disconnect at this point but Episode four can change that. It's going to be one of those ones, season season four, season five of this show, and you'll be going north. The best central character of this show. There you go. <laughs> Outside play- of Ampersand. <laughs> and played by Marin Ireland, we didn't mention before, but Marin Ireland was uh, played Sissy in Umbrella Academy, which we covered yes. last year, season season two of Umbrella Academy, and one of the best storylines of, of the show as well. Uh, really enjoyed her in, in that show. So great to see her back on TV Podcast Industries, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, But absolutely. gentlemen... With that, I think we're end of our points. So we'll move on to some notes if you have any. Just, just one for me. I just really liked the uh, one of the pieces of the conversation between Yarick and Jennifer, where he says to her again in frustration that he's the last man alive. Says to Jennifer, um, "Surely you found another man." And she, her response to him is, "We found loads of other men, but none with the Y chromosome." Oh, um, yes. Which is. A, a yeah. really good handling of of a, a slight criticism, well, a serious criticism that why the last man seems to have cre- seems to have found itself in over the last twenty years. I did mention first episode that I've read them quite recently, and there are some things that do need to change, certainly about the writing because of how life has progressed and the experience of the writers themselves and the experience of everybody really. But I, I would never actually level the book as being a transphobic book. And I'd never level it at the writers as, as writing things in that are transphobic. But what they do tend to ha- what tends to happen in the book is Yark finds himself in situations with really bad people with really shitty opinions, basically. Um, and that tends to come across. Those characters tend to be the ones that say really crappy things that wouldn't be there otherwise. Um, but I like that the show is dealing with this the right way. I like that the show has has got a trans character in Sam, who's uh, who's with here at the moment. We didn't see them this episode. We'll hopefully see them again next episode. But I like that they have those storylines, and I like this being dealt with as part of society the way it should be uh, in the storyline. I think Brian Kevon was so focused on Yarrick and his storyline that he didn't really look at what the wider world uh, experience was um, and tended to look at it through the eyes of pretty dark and evil people a lot of the time. So, um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I just I like that it's being handled this way on the show. And wanted to call it out here in the third episode. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. And I, I, I don't think you can, for, for me personally, I, I don't feel you can level a criticism at, at the, the, the comics. Um, you know, and it was actually dealing with a, a, a particular situation, um, at a particular time of when it was written as well. I mean, you know, if it, it, it it's not something specifically, um, about identity politics, but a lot of things will always touch on that. And, you know, this yeah. book was touching certainly uh, in terms of just simply women's rights. And I don't think it's transphobic because of that. Um, I, I think, you know, 
it's being brought up to date, um, you know, ultimately, exactly. uh, with this adaptation of it yeah. and from, and from the comics. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's like we've always said around the Marvel um, TV shows and movies that we see. And, you know, I, I, I'm incredibly supportive of TV changing the comics as much as them taking the comics and using them, you know, the, a lot of the time in, in, in uh, co- comic a- adaptations, it is, and it can be in others like Lord of the Rings. It's a, a fanatical zeal for purity around the source material. And um, dare I say it, um, that's yeah. probably landed me in a lot of trouble. Uh, but I think um, these, these things grow. It's the same way that, Effectively, Shakespeare didn't grow. I mean, he had women on stage playing men's parts, um, uh, and men on the stage playing women's parts mm-hmm. back in Elizabethan England. And then I guess the purity of Victorian, uh, at least high society or the outward looking of it was that, you know, well, a man is a man and a woman is a woman. And now it's coming back to where you have these interchangeable roles and actors with different um genders and so i think our literature is evolving i I think this is where um with the showrunner the writers the imports they're taking that source material and they're adapting it and adding to it and and feeding back into something that was written you know at this stage 20 years ago uh, and developing and saying you know there's also this element because as well there's yeah, you're right. It's a focus on Yorick in particular, yeah. with, um, but with the wider situation happening in the society, yeah. um, and it's where it's where Yorick yeah. inter- interacts with that is how the comic book tended to handle yeah. it. And one of the things I'll absolutely praise the show for is that it does feel like a an ensemble piece. I think I kind of mentioned that last episode yeah. as well. It feels like mm-hmm. it's an ensemble show with a bunch of really interesting stories going on. <laughs> I, think, yeah. uh, I, I think that's kind of the, the, uh, the element of it that I'm really enjoying so far, these three episodes. I, and I think, look, we, we faced something somewhat similar recently with Invincible, where um, we saw Robert Kirkman, who also did Walking Dead, um, who had these older comic books and is updating them for TV. In the case of Invincible, he was updating for animation. But mm-hmm. even he said... Looking back on it, time uh, is time does help because you are able to uh, add these new lenses. And exactly. yes, like this is the great thing. You, they're adapting it for the modern audience of modern time. Same way when, if we look at Baz Luhrmann's adapted Romeo and Juliet in the mm. 90s, <laughs> it was a good adaptation for that time. Yeah. But that's all I wanted to say. And we do still love Claire Danes and we do love uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. They're, they're, exactly. they're still great. They're still great. I did have one note um, mm-hmm. and it's more of a, a, a question. Where's Beth? There Australia. You go. <laughs> <laughs> she, or she she's still at the airport. Yeah. yeah, she's still at LAX. Or no, she wasn't in LAX. She was in uh, JFK. There you go. She went to yeah. LaGuardia when she should have gone to JFK. Or, or maybe LaGuardia got a flight out. You never know. You never yeah. know. Uh, yeah, we actually don't know the difference between the time when they had their argument that she stormed out of uh, of Yorick's apartment uh, after his um, ridiculous proposal to her uh, and, and when he wakes up the following day. We know there's obviously a few hours, so maybe she did get all, get out of America. Yeah, <laughs> but she probably wouldn't have been able to make the flight all the way to Australia. But uh, but yes, uh, where's Beth, I think, is the question that Yarek's asking uh, every day now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, with that question that will bring us into episode four, uh, gentlemen, 
What did you think of episode three? John, take it away. Um, I, I really enjoyed this. I thought that it was really tense within that compound. And I loved all that, the relationships the, with, with Kimberly, with finding fanatical Regina in, in Israel and, and what that brought to the, the, the trials and tribulations. I, I loved, um, as well, just, I thought Diane Lane was absolutely superb in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the interaction of, uh, Yorick with Agent, uh, 355. Uh, I, you know, again, I think Ashley Romans here is just so well cast, uh, in this role. I'm loving her playing this, um, this character. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 you know, crazy first lady and her imaginings and how that fed into Kimberly, the explosive helicopter with the wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I guess, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, almost, I, I, it almost felt like breaking the fourth wall as, uh, Ashley Romans is looking, uh, uh back to Yorick, but it, it looks like she's slightly looking at camera with, uh, with her eyes and say, you know, I did that. It was um, three five five all along. Yeah. yeah, so it was really, really good. I, I would give this um, four twenty-two dead pilots out of five, um, and yeah, really, really enjoyed it. That is also um, a, a reference to uh, twenty-one pilots, the music group. I, this is in homage to the two pilots that were given a medal. And then we're blowing up, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was a bit of a shame, uh, unfortunately. Um, how about you, Chris? What do you think overall this episode? Yeah, this is really kind of starting to bring me back in. Um, after my initial kind of, not hesitation, but the, the feeling of a slow burn in episode two, this kind of ramped up the, the storyline again, gave um, some aspects that I really enjoyed, some that I'm kind of initially was kind of less happy with, such as the Norris storyline. Through our discussions, I'm kind of coming around to it. Um, but overall, really enjoyed it. Looking forward to episode four um, and looking to see where we end up at the end of season one. What about yourself, Derek? Loved this episode. Loved uh, the addition to all the storylines that are going on, the new characters and, and the storylines that they're getting are really good. But the fact that we have a scene with, I would think, our two major characters, characters of the comic book, 355 and Yarek, around the table. And it, of course, ending with him puking in a toilet because he's eaten too much. Uh, all that stuff feels like, this is right out of the comic book. This is great fun. And we now have our mission. Um, we've finally got to a point yeah. where 355 is taking Yarek off to meet Dr. Man, who I'm really excited to see, hopefully next week. Uh, really excited to see Dr. Man. And, and they have their mission. They're away from the capital. Uh, that storyline, I'm sure, will continue to play out much more than it did in the comic book. We now have those central characters in in the White House, in, in the, in government, um, which hopefully we'll see more of than we did in the comic book. And that will be now running us a, a yeah. side by side story to what's going on with 355 and Yark. So I'm really excited by what this show has set up. And now we're going into the real series now, I suppose, after these three episodes, uh, one episode once a week from now on. And I'm really looking forward to it. Good stuff. Excellent. If you want to get in contact with us and share your thoughts about the episodes, you can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can join us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. You can also join us each week for our coverage of Marvel's What If, uh, which comes out Wednesdays on Disney+. Plus. And we'll be back with Why the Last Man, episode four, Karen and Benji, next week. I don't know who Karen and Benji are. I've never heard of those characters. No, no I, 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 I don't. So I'm like, who...
So it, I it, guess 355 and Yarrick will probably meet them in Boston, huh? Yeah, I, it, it sounds like a post-apocalyptic new folk group uh, that's been set up. Well, yes, music is still required in the apocalypse. Uh, it certainly <laughs> is. It is it though? Folk music, is it though? Well, it feels like Sonny and Cher, but yes. just Karen and Benji. I like it. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you next time. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, fellow survivors. It's great discussing this episode and, of course, the first three episodes mm-hmm. that we've done back to back. Looking forward to episode four. Uh, we hope you are too. Uh, remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep surviving. Bye. Bye. Bye.